0: Let's pray together, Father God. We come before you this morning, just once again thanking you for the privilege it is to come into your house and to worship, Father. I know that this morning, Lord Jesus, that we've got many within our faith family that are sick. We ask that you be with them, Father. I know that in a room of this size, Father, we have many different um, emotions that are, are are raging within us. I know that there are some that are desperately ill this morning. Father, I know that they are just in need of your touch and of your healing. I know that there's some in this room that are going through one of life's many storms. And Father, I pray that you will give them the strength to weather this storm well. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that your Holy Spirit will just show up in this place. And I pray that you will just speak to each one of us. May every one of us leave, leave this place changed by the reading and studying of your word. Lord, we love you and we thank you for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 36 together. And we're looking at the day that Jesus walked on water. I don't know about you, but every year at Christmas and Easter, I find myself flipping through the channels. And it never fails. I always come across channel after channel trying to refute the deity of Jesus Christ. And I believe it was one Easter weekend, I was flipping through the channels, and I came across a station that was talking about um, Jesus' miracle of walking on water. And it kind of, um, I was kind of... Uh, Captivated by it. And so I sat there for a few minutes and I began to watch that station. And this show claimed that Jesus did not walk on water, but he actually walked on an ice sheet. And in fact, um, there is a professor at the University of, or at Florida State University that claimed that over a 12,000 year period, at least a handful of times, there have been ice sheets present on the Sea of Galilee. And in fact, he claims that on the day that Jesus walked on water, that was one of those days that he actually walked out on an ice sheet. You know, as I watched that, it kind of made me mad that people are watching this stuff. And this is not the only person that believes that. There are hundreds of scientists, if not thousands of scientists, that try to rationalize away Jesus' miracles. Should we be surprised by that? I don't think so. Because lost people are going to act lost, aren't they? Lost scientists are going to re, try to use reason to explain away the miracles of Jesus. Just as we looked at last week, you and I should not be surprised when the very God of the universe who created the waters was able to walk on the water as well. Let's read together. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 36. It says this. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all the region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment, as, and as many as touched it were all made well. This morning, our message point is this if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. John Ortberg um, quoted that or said that, wrote that. That is a lesson for each of us this morning. Oftentimes, we find ourselves stuck in places of comfort instead of pursuing after the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice our first point this morning it is this the direction of the king. The direction of the king. Immediately, we read in verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. In order for us to understand why Jesus told his disciples to immediately get into the boat, we really need to look back at last week's message and, and just review a couple of points here. Last week, if you remember, we looked at the miracle in which Jesus fed the 5,000. He fed five thousand boys or five thousand men with a little boy's lunch of five barley loaves and two fish. And we're told not only did he feed the men, but he also fed all of the women and children. So it is most likely that Jesus fed somewhere between 20 and 25,000 people with just five barley loaves and two fish. Pieces of bread that was a our nat- two fish that was a supernatural miracle. Scripture tells us that was not the only miracle that Jesus performed. looking back at matthew fourteen fourteen we read, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed the sick. so before he fed the five thousand men. And the women and children, he actually healed many people that were present that day. It is quite possible that on that day, the lame could walk. The deaf could hear. The blind could see. The demon possessed was delivered. Jesus healed one after another on that day. Remember from last week, the miracle of the 5,000 feeding is the only miracle outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is mentioned in all four of the gospels. With this miracle being recorded in each of the four gospels, we are able to see some hidden gems that are recorded in some of the other gospels as well. In John, we get a clear idea as to why Jesus rushed his disciples away. Notice what it says in John 6:14 through15 says this. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed, the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The people saw in Jesus a miracle worker, a leader, a king, unlike this world had ever seen. Can you imagine what would have happened had they anointed Jesus? King of Israel. Think about it. This is probably what was going through their mind sight, or through their mind. If a soldier was killed, no problem because King Jesus could raise them from the dead. If a soldier was injured, no problem because Jesus could, could heal the lame, make the lame walk. If, if a, if the army was hungry, And there was no food, not a problem, because Jesus could take a little and feed the entire nation of Israel. Natural leader, that was Jesus. Not even Moses or David could compare to his leadership. You talk about a world power with Jesus on the throne. Rome would be destroyed, as would every other nation. The religious leaders and their unbelievable burdens that they imposed would be no match for Jesus. Man, he would just kick them to the side. Jesus sensed that the people were going to take him by force and place him on a physical throne and commission him as their leader. But Jesus, recognizing that, sent his disciples ahead, dispersed the crowd, and went up on a mountainside to pray. Why did he do that? Because we see in Matthew 20, 28, that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve 2,000 years ago. But there is coming a day when he will come and establish his physical kingdom on this earth. And the question for each of us in this room. Is this, are you ready? Are we ready for that day? Notice what the disciples did. Jesus said, go. And they obeyed. They obeyed even when they did not understand. You know, we do not understand a lot of whys in life, right? We don't understand why a person that we love is taken at such an early age. We don't understand why someone we love or ourselves are diagnosed with a terminal illness. We don't understand why we lose a job. Students, you don't understand why your parents took you from one school and placed you into another school or why you were uprooted from one part of the country and had to move to another part of the country. We don't understand the whys in life. But understand this, Isaiah 55, 8-9 says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, I am sure that the disciples could not grasp the why. Why Jesus immediately rushed them away. Think about all the supernatural events that they had witnessed that day. All of the miracles that Jesus had performed on physical bodies. And then the supernatural miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, this should be a day that they should be celebrating and rejoicing. But that's not what happened. Jesus immediately tells them to get into the boat. They get in the boat and they leave and they obey. Notice also here. Notice that the king prays. King Jesus, we find Praying. In verse 23, we read, After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. You know, every time I come across a passage of scripture, which is, is, is very often in the New Testament, where we find Jesus praying, I, I am just left amazed by that. Jesus, who has ultimate authority to do all things. Jesus, who at any moment could have summoned all of the angelic hosts to come to his side. Jesus, who preexisted all things. Jesus, who spoke all things into creation. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, always present, always knowing, always connected to the Father. Notice what he does. He prayed. Prayer for Jesus was as normal as eating and sleeping, both necessary for life. Why do we always see Jesus praying? Because for Jesus, praying was so much more than making petitions to God the Father. Prayer is about communion with our Father. Prayer is about spending time with the God of the universe. Jesus was committed to staying in fellowship with his Father. That is why we find him praying. Yes, Jesus absolutely interceded for his disciples, and he intercedes for us today. He prayed during times of agony. He prayed during times of loneliness. He prayed constantly. He petitioned the Father, yes, but prayer for him was so much more than just making petition. It was Is about communion with the Father, as it should be for us. Prayer is about having communion with God the Father. It should be a priority for every one of us in this room. It should be a priority for our church. Prayer should be a priority. Is it a priority for you? Notice our second point this morning is this, the lesson of the king. In verse 24, we read, but the, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. You know, the, the disciples set out on a journey from Beseda to Gennesaret, which would have been a coastline voyage. But somehow, when the winds picked up, the disciples find themselves off course. You know, growing up, one of my favorite sitcoms was Gilligan's Island. Y'all remember Gilligan's Island? I loved Gilligan's Island. Here's what I want us to do together. I want us to sing the same theme song for Gilligan's Island together, okay? So if you remember this, you ready? Just I'm not going to do that. I'm just kidding. Y'all know I don't sing. Um, but, but, they, but I can imagine them singing a, a, a verge, version of this song. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tell, a tell of a fateful trip that started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. The mate was a mighty sailor man, Peter, brave and sure. Twelve passengers set sail that day for a three hour tour, a three hour tour. The weather started getting rough and this tiny ship was tossed and that's all I'm going to do. But you get the point. We know this is not the first time that the disciples experienced a great storm out on the Sea of Galilee. Back in Matthew chapter eight, we've already walked through that passage together. But we find the disciples in a similar situation. They're out on the Sea of Galilee, and they're crossing from one side to the other, and a storm rages. There's a difference between that storm in Matthew chapter 8 and this storm in Matthew chapter 14 because in Matthew chapter 8, where was Jesus? Jesus was right there in the boat with them. Now, he was asleep at first, but he was in the boat with them. This particular storm, though, the disciples are alone. They're out on this on this lake. And it's late at night. They're probably soaked. They're probably cold. They're probably fighting for their very lives on this day. Storms have a tendency to make ships go off course, don't they? In life, storms have a tendency to make our lives go off of course as well. All of us in this room have dreams. All of us in this room have plans. All of us in this room have goals. All of us have them, and all of us know what life is like when a storm forces us off course or forces us to change direction. Storms will come. And I have said this many times. If you and I live long enough, we can be certain that the storms of life will affect us. They will come. Notice in the middle of the disciples' storms. Notice Jesus' appearance. In verse 25, we read this. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. So the disciples are in the midst of this storm. And all of a sudden, they see, um, as we've already read, they see what appears to be a ghost. In Mark chapter 6, we get a, a, another um, picture of this story. In Mark six forty-eight, we read, And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. And notice this last part right here. It says, he meant to pass by them. Now, that's a fascinating verse right there. This passage echoes the time when God passed before Moses in Exodus and revealed his glory to him. That is the picture here. Jesus was passing by the disciples to reveal his glory to them. He was not walking by them to avoid them. He wanted them to see him. He wanted them to recognize him. And, they, and he wanted them to see his full glory and deity on this day. But notice the disciples' reaction. Notice the skeptical Doubting disciples' reaction in verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. The last person the disciples expected to see walking on the Sea of Galilee that day was Jesus Christ. When Jesus approached them, they Think that they are seeing a ghost. The Greek word here for ghost is phantasma or phantom. It was a common cultural belief that to see a ghost was a sign that death was imminent. And you can count on the fact that the disciples thought that they were about to lose their lives. And we are told that they cried out. Then this wasn't just a a, a little screech of a cry. This was a wailing of a crowd. It would be like a schoolgirl screaming out loud. I mean, that's the kind of scream that these disciples let out on this particular day. They thought they were at death's door. The very glory of God was right in their midst. But because of their fear and doubt, they could not see Jesus. But notice this. Notice in the midst of this storm, notice Jesus' comfort. Notice his comfort. We read in verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. What beautiful words those are. I'm certain that the disciples had never heard such words before. Folks, when storms appear, and they will appear... Know that you are never alone. The king, King Jesus, is always there to comfort us, especially when we call out to him. Let's look at our final point this morning. It is this. There's the question for the king. In verse 28, we read, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you know, all of us have a little bit of Peter in us, don't we? Peter was impulsive. You know, I have been called by my wife impulsive. Not sometimes, not most of the time, but pretty much all of the time. And that's who I think Peter is. I think he was an impulsive person. I really think on this particular day, I think that Peter spoke before he really thought about what he was about to do. He spoke up and said, Lord, if it is you, allow me to come to you. It's important to note here, though, that Peter had complete faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter asked permission before he got out of the boat. He didn't just jump out of the boat. Had he jumped out of the boat, he probably would have sunk but he asked permission before he got out of the boat. Sometimes because of our impulsiveness, we do not always ask for permission. And as a result, we get out of the boat ahead of God. That is always a dangerous move, isn't it? How many of you over the course of your life have ever got out in front of God? Man, I know that I have. I've got out, and out in front of God thinking that this is direction that God wanted me to go. And then later, I find out I wasn't supposed to go through that door at all. But because of my impulsiveness, I went and I got out of the boat and I got ahead of the Lord. All of us have been there. All of us have done that. And we know how lonely it is to be out of the will of God. Let's look here at Peter's faith. In verse 29, Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. So Peter seeks permission from Jesus. Granted, he gets out of the boat. And the rest of the disciples, where are the rest of the disciples? Man, they're still in the boat, aren't they? Man, they're still fighting for their lives. They're still fearful. They're still thinking that they're seeing a ghost and all of these different things. Yet Peter gets out of the boat and he finds himself walking on water. That memory must have stuck with Peter all of the days of his life. I can just imagine that Peter on many nights after this miracle found himself just laying awake at night. Maybe looking up at the stars and dreaming of the day that he walked on water. You know, I have had the opportunity, and I've shared this with you before, on some of the mission trips that I've taken over to Israel to go out on the Sea of Galilee. They have a boat there that's called the Jesus boat. And um, it's kind of shaped like they think that the boat in Jesus is days would have looked like, much bigger, has an outboard motor with it and everything. But you go out on this boat for about 30 minutes, and then the boat stops, and you've got about 30 minutes to, as a team, have a devotion. And then what we would always do is we'd break up around the boat and just find a quiet spot to just read Scripture. And I found myself reading this Scripture on more than one occasion. And I have to admit, I've dreamed of being Peter of being able to get out of that boat and walk on the Sea of Galilee. I never did it, but I did dream about it. You know, Peter's faith, though, would soon turn to doubt. In verse 30, we read, and 31, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand took hold of him saying to him "O oh, you of little faith why did you doubt?" You know, I have heard pastor after pastor and sermon after sermon preached harshly against Peter because of his lack of faith. Because he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. And that is a sermon in and of itself. I want you to know that right now. But here's the reality. Peter is the only one that got out of the boat. The other disciples were still gripped with fear. But not Peter. Once again, our message point was if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Sometimes you and I need to get out of the boat. It may seem ridiculous. It may seem impossible. But the reward of being in the center of the will of God is worth it. Peter got out of the boat. And he began to walk toward Jesus. What a sight that must have been. What a moment that must have been for Peter. As he's getting out of that boat, the waves are still crashing around him. He could hear the waves crashing against the boat. He probably even heard the disciples say, Peter, what are you doing? Get back in the boat. All of these things are going on around him. Unfortunately, what we read is, what did Peter do? Peter took his eyes off of Jesus. It would be those very waves that would become a distraction for Peter. We read in verse 30, but when he saw the wind, seeing the wind was a figure of speech for seeing a storm or seeing the effects of a storm. When Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, he immediately began to sink. Now, Peter's, whose namesake means rock, did not sink like his namesake actually would suggest. His body did not cut through those waters like my daughter whenever she does a cannonball into our community pool. But the picture here is of Jesus slowly beginning to sink. As as, as if the density of the water began to change and Peter began to sink. And as Peter begins to sink, notice what he says. He said, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Sometimes in life, and let me rephrase that, in everyone's life, there has to be a moment where we all cry out, Lord, save me. Save me from the death course that I am on. Lord, save me from myself Save me from my sin. Save me from this collision course with hell that I am on right now. Lord, save me. And that's what Peter did. Peter cried out, Lord, save me. And notice what Jesus did. Jesus immediately reached out his hand. It doesn't say that Jesus waited to teach Peter a lesson, allowing Peter to sink to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. It didn't say that, that Jesus waited for that water to get about to his eye level so that he was immersed in that water and couldn't breathe. It says that Jesus immediately reached out of his hand, and he saved him. Peter did doubt. Peter did take his eyes off of Jesus, and he would be scolded for Jesus because of that, we read in the latter part of 31, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He scolded Peter, but notice Peter never lost sight of Jesus. He never doubted the object of his faith. Yes, storms will come. Yes, sometimes those very storms claim the lives of those that we love. Sometimes those storms last for a a few hours or a few days. Sometimes, though, they last for months or years or decades. And unfortunately, for some of those that we love, they last for an entire lifetime. Why? Why do storms occur? Man, I don't have any other answer than this. You and I live in a broken world, and we are broken people. Storms come because of brokenness. Because of that first sin that began in the garden, the ripple effect affects us even to this day. Storms will come. And when those storms come, know that as long as Jesus is the object of our faith and worship, we will be able to weather those storms well. In closing this morning, notice our final sub-point. Notice the disciples' worship. Notice what happens when Jesus comes to them and gets in the boat. In verses 32 and 33, we read this. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. The disciples' doubt turns into worship. Right there on the Sea of Galilee, there is a church service that was had. There was a worship experience that happened right there on the Sea of Galilee. These disciples began to worship the God of the universe. It is as if their eyes were finally open, and every event that Jesus had ever done began to make sense to them. No longer were they left wondering if Jesus was the Messiah. Right here, they acknowledge Jesus as being the Son of God. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who is Jesus to you? Is he just a man that lived in history's past? Or is he indeed the Son of God? Is he the second person of the Godhead. I want you to know this morning that he is the only one that can save you from the storms of this life. He is the only one that can save you when the waves are crashing around you, then you are plummeting toward the great abyss. This morning, let Jesus reach out and rescue you. If you do not know Jesus Christ this morning as your Lord and Savior, may you cry out just as Peter did, Lord, save me. And by crying out to Jesus to save you, what you're admitting is this. You're asking Jesus to save you from your sins. You're asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins, of those things that you have done that have separated you from God. And you are also acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your life, that he is your ruler and that he is your king. And you are acknowledging as we have looked at through the book of Matthew in which Jesus called all of us to holiness and righteousness. You are committing that you are going to live your life in right standing with God. If you have never cried out, Lord, save me, what is keeping you from doing that this morning? For all of us in this room, once again, storms are going to come. Sometimes those storms are going to just barely hit the side of our lives or the side of the boats that we find ourselves in. Other times those storms are going to be so great and so fierce that those waves are going to be coming into the boat with us. And that boat that we're in, the water is going to rise and we're going to feel like we're sinking. But I want you to know this if King Jesus is Lord of your life, you will be able to weather those storms. The storms we experience today they're already under the feet of Jesus. Know that. The storms that you and I experience it today, they're already under the feet of Jesus. He's already taking care of them. He's already given us a way out. He's already given us the promise that he's going to be there with us in the midst of those storms. Faith family, if you're here this morning or if you're visiting with us this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to surrender your life to Jesus. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to make him the Lord of your life. You may be here this morning. You've been visiting this church a while, and the Lord is leading you to make Friendship Baptist Church your church home, your church home, your family's church home, and we welcome you to be a part of this faith family. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Our our worship team is going to come, and they're going to lead us in an invitation song. And if there's a decision you need to make, I want to invite you to come this morning. Come this morning and surrender your life to Jesus. Come this morning repenting of your sins and making Jesus the Lord of your life. Come this morning crying out to Jesus to save you. You come this morning. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning just once again thanking you, Father, for The promise of your word. Thank you, Lord, for for just stories like we read this morning. Real life events that happen as you walked amongst us. Father, we thank you for knowing that even though storms are going to come, even though we may find ourselves in the midst of storms today, if we call out to you, you are there with us. Father, we pray, Lord Jesus, this morning that you will help us to weather life storms well. Father, help us not to give up. Help us not to quit. Help us not to, to fold up camp. But help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, knowing that you are the author and perfecter of our lives and of our faith, knowing, Lord Jesus, that somehow, way, in the midst of this storm, Lord Jesus, not only are you going to be glorified, but you're going to give us opportunities to glorify you as we do life with others that are walking through similar storms that we find ourselves in. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, this morning that if there is someone here, Father, that have has never cried out to you, Lord, save me, that they will do that this morning. I pray, Lord Jesus, if there are some here this morning that have been a part of this um, visiting us for a while and you're leading them to become a part of this faith family, Lord, I pray that they will come and make friendship Baptist Church their home. Father, we know that we 're not a perfect church, and we've got a lot of of of, of areas that we need to grow closer and more like you in. But Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the privilege to pastor this church. I thank you for the privilege to be able to do life with every man, woman, student, and child in this room. And Father, I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that if there is someone here that needs to make this their church home, they'll do that very thing. Just move now during our time of invitation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. If you're here this morning and there's a decision you need to make, you come. If you need to come trusting Jesus as your Savior, you come. If you need to come making this your church home, you come as well. You come as our praise team sings.